one of the things she always talks about is running into your unknown, uh, which is an awesome thing. It's something I think about that, you know, you have this place, you can kind of push yourself beyond that, beyond like what you think you can do today. There's that new place you might can push yourself to, whether it's in a workout or in a race. And a couple of weeks out from the race, uh, a friend messaged me on Instagram who is also running the race. And he asked me like what my plans were for the race. And I told him, you know, I'm gonna start with the 305 pace group and I'm gonna, you know, pick it up at the halfway point if I feel good. And he said, don't do that. He said, <laughs> he said, I followed you on Strava. I've seen your workouts. What you're gonna do is you're gonna run with the 305 pace group. You're gonna pick it up a little bit. You're gonna run a 304 and you're gonna feel like you left something up there. You're in better shape than that. Start with the sub three group. You're gonna run a 258. I mean, my PR is 3.14, so this would be like an insane PR for me. And I'm like, my heart's beating. I'm like, can I do this? <laughs> can I do a sub three? Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 73 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. At age 13, Erin Genova's appendix burst and she was hospitalized for a week and watched the Boston Marathon on television for the first time and was so inspired and said, I'm going to run that race one day. That is where her amazing running journey began. Erin made good on that promise, running a 3.42 in her first Boston in 2002 during her senior year of college at Boston University on a sponsor's invitation bib from John Hancock. I'm so inspired by Erin's recent 258 marathon, a 16-minute PR at CIM, and I'm totally stoked to follow what comes next. Erin is incredibly goal-driven, fiercely competitive and strong, and is setting a great example for her two children, Violet and Cooper, to follow, and they are two of her biggest fans. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did, so let's dive on in and take a listen. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? Doing good. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be able to share a little bit of my story with you. Yeah, I'm excited. You have a really good story, interesting story. And uh, you had a breakout race. I don't normally do the lead in early, but you had a breakout race at CIM and uh, you smashed a sub three, 258. And was it a 14-minute PR or 18-minute PR? 16-minute. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Um, I I had been chasing 310 probably since at least 2010 um, with lots of stop and goes in between. But uh, finally, everything kind of came together and just blew it out of the water that day. It was pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Unbelievable. But we got to get we got to get everybody introduced. uh, You introduced to the Run Chats audience. So tell everybody a little about where you grew up. What was family life like for you as a kid? Uh, just as a little intro for everybody. Sure, yeah. I grew up in uh, Burlington, Mass., uh, the oldest of two. Um, my sister was six years younger than me. So I think that um, that allowed my parents to give me a lot of focus, I think, because I was really into doing all types of sports just from a young age. And um, starting with everything from softball, gymnastics, dance, 
basketball, soccer. Um, I got mostly into basketball and soccer uh, for several years uh, and then turned my attention to competitive swimming for a while. Nice. So well-rounded. Um, and what about your sister? Was she athletic as well? She did swimming and did a few sports, but she never really, she didn't have the competitive drive. I think that was just something that was really natural with me. I was always very competitive uh, from a young age. I actually used to set up a little workout room in my basement and I would set my alarm early, like even in middle, middle school, I would set my alarm for an early time. I'd go into my basement and I'd run laps like back and forth in my basement. We had like a pretty big basement. And then I'd do push-ups, sit-ups, like I'd make all kinds of like routines for myself that I would write down. Um, so I had that kind of thing where I just wanted to push myself and be the best at whatever I did, just, you know, starting from as young as I can remember. But um, my sister did do a lot of sports, uh, but she never really was into it in such a competitive way as I was. Interesting. And what about mom and dad? Were they athletic? Were they, are either of them or both of them like super competitive as well? My dad, my dad's pretty competitive. He played uh, on a softball team and he played hockey. Like he probably kept playing hockey like well into his sixties and it was like a 30 and over league. So at some point I think they were like, okay, geezer, you gotta get out of here. Cause you know, they were checking and stuff like that. So eventually uh, he ended up giving it up, but now he's into the pickleball. He's down in Florida. So he's into pickleball. That's really big down there. And he's, he's pretty competitive in that circuit down there, you know, playing the games with the different, uh, old folks communities. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm at that age myself, man, at 61, I was just doing a track workout, man. And these kids that are playing soccer when they kick the ball and it comes into my lane, they're always giving me the looks. And I was like, don't be giving me any looks, man. If that ball comes in front of me, man, it's not going to be pretty, but you know, it's like, you would think they just have more respect. You know, your dad's out there playing hockey at 60, man. They should be like impressed that he's still like throwing down and, and playing and fit enough to do it. Right. Yeah, he uh, he used to run some himself too. Like that's probably initially how I did a little bit of running because he used to just kind of recreationally run and like occasionally he'd do like a road race here or there. So there was like a, a town road race that we did together a few times, and um, the next town over had like a summer series that we'd occasionally do, and it was something I was able to usually either win or like place in my age group in. But I just never really thought of running as like something that you could pursue. Like at that age, it was just something that we kind of did for fun occasionally. Hey, that's that's a good introduction. I mean, it's a, it's something to do with your dad. It's local community races. You're already winning and you're getting some kind of trophies, which is always a, a very good positive reinforcement. That gets somewhere in the back of your mind. You're like, hey, man, this is pretty cool. When I run, I win or I, I get something awesome. It's not just like a, some fake participation trophy. Um, and you're doing it with your dad. So that's kind of cool. Um, and swimming kind of became your main sport, right? Like in high school, like you're after doing a bunch of them, swimming kind of became your main sport, right? Yeah. So around age 13, I became really into the competitive swimming, um, to the point where I was doing six days a week, twice a day, um, practices at 5am before school. My mother driving me from Burlington to Medford, uh, about a half hour drive. So she'd be getting up super early, driving me there, dropping me off, like going to work, taking a nap in her car because it was like too early for her to go into the office and then driving me back there again, like at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, so it was swimming. We did weights. We did dry land. It was a, a pretty competitive environment, uh, but so much fun. We did a lot of travel meets, too, where we traveled all over New England, traveled to New York. 
had some like amazing experiences uh, doing that and just being part of that team. And swimming is also a little bit like running because it's somewhat individual where you're trying to like push yourself and have that competitive nature, like trying to get your best time. But you're also like part of that team where you're scoring points or you're on a relay together. So you kind of have like a little bit of uh, the best of both worlds there. Yeah. what a, It's a great intro sport. I think the two sports that really cross over the most and set people up for running are soccer and swimming. Um, certainly other sports are great. I mean, I was a college baseball player, friends who were lacrosse players and, you know, football and, you know, basketball, wrestling, whatever. But, you know, swimming is incredible discipline, enormous amount of aerobic work. It's strength work. And because the pool, because of flotation versus running and pounding or even cycling, which is way less pounding than running, you know, the volume swimmers can do is just crazy. It's unbelievable what kind of volume swimmers can put in and work that they can, you know, put in on their bodies and get stronger. And so you're developing a massive like aerobic system at a young age already, which you probably don't think you're not thinking about at that point, but you are because I don't care what stroke you're swimming. It doesn't matter if it's breaststroke, freestyle, you know, individual medleys, whatever you're swimming, you know, you're developing a lot of aerobic power and strength. Yeah. So with swimming, kind of like running, I usually like the distance stuff. So you know, I do like the 1650, the thousand, like the, the things nobody else really wants to do. That was what I liked. I hated the sprints. I hated like the fifties, the 25s. I was, I was all set with that. Like the 500 was probably like the shortest distance that I did, like that I enjoyed. That's so funny. So even at that age, you were already gravitating to the longer stuff. You already knew that that was better suited for you. And it's usually the opposite. Most kids at that age, you know, if somebody, if they're coming out for a track or cross country, they want to run the shortest race or, you know, in a relay, they want to do a DMR. They want to do the 400 leg. They don't want to do 3,200 or, you know, they don't want to run long. I mean, it's just, it's really unusual, you know, that even at that age, you already knew that you were better at the longer stuff. So, but it also develops, you know, like for long-term develops the mental toughness too, man, because it's a grind, you know, to have those longer races, right? Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, thank God for the counters, though, because in swimming, they have like the counters that they put into the water. Because if I had to keep track of all those laps in my head, then I would have been in trouble. Oh, hell yeah, man. When I had some years when I was swimming and doing triathlon, I was lost in there. I didn't know what was going on. Like, you know, I just go totally space out looking at that bottom line on the pool. And I'd be like, wait, what lap am I on? I don't know. I have no idea. So you're right. I mean, and it's a race, no less. Imagine like totally screwing that up. It's not like, you know, when we run a course, you know, a half marathon, a 10K or something, you know, there's mile markers usually or clocks or, although clocks are kind of going by the wayside. There used to always, I used to love seeing pace clocks around the courses more, you know, they were just like, just kind of just know like, hey, here's where I am halfway through a 10K or here's where I am. I don't know if, if that's the case by you, but you're just starting to see less and less pace clocks out on the course these mostly days. mostly just see them in the longer stuff, like the marathons, you know, you always see them, maybe the halves, like you'll see a couple, but um, yeah, just mostly the marathons, I think. But even then, it's probably only what, like every 5K or something that they have one? Yeah. Yeah. And if you go to the true international marathons like Tokyo, um, Berlin and London are definitely better, you know, in terms of having like miles versus kilometers, but Tokyo is pretty much all kilometers. If I'm not mistaken, the only 
marker that you would know as a U.S. runner is like the half, like, you know, and of course that's still 21.1 K, you know, if they're sticking to kilometers, but that really threw me off, man. And plus the watch over there was just gone. I mean, you start in this, this government district, which is, you know, basically kind of like being in midtown Manhattan, if you will, with just like a ton of big office buildings. And it's a cool area, super cool, but you good luck getting a signal and you're like running. That's and, for Tokyo you're yeah, talking about? Yeah. And I mean, I'm telling you, I think I was like three miles into the race, four miles into the race and it's raining and it's cold and it's freezing. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what mile I'm on. It's kilometers, my watch. I don't even know if it's getting a, I don't even know what's happening here. And I was also so frozen. You know, I was already like, I think hypothermia was already setting in because, I mean, that's the difficulty with these majors. Um, and, you know, it's, it's of course- I'm definitely, that's one of my things. I'm definitely going for the six star. I got Berlin in uh, September already lined up. Cool. Um, awesome. And I'm kind of waiting to hear the results from London and- uh, Tokyo, I don't know when that'll happen because it, it seems like there's, you know, a lot going on with that. Three years straight of Tokyo canceled. 2020, 2021, 2022. I mean, two of those three, they're going to have elite only races taking place. One, they just didn't do anything at all. They just skipped and made it virtual. But um, yeah, it's it's tough. But you know what? You will you could get into Tokyo you your time is fast enough to get you into Tokyo. There are like time standards for men and women if you're fast enough. So that's a positive for you. Um, oh, really? It, I didn't yeah. think they were doing that anymore because of COVID. Well, well, look, at some point, we're going to have – it's going to have to become a regular race again. It can't just be – you know, certainly their application process is going to be – regular people are not going to be applying. They're going to be taking their backlog of runners for sure, which I'm in that backlog along with many other runners that are queued up. Um, and they'll have to address them first, right? But for other people that have standards like that, they're not going to close their doors to runners like that. They're always going to want to bring the faster women and the faster men, call it a sub-elite field, if you will. They're always going to want to bring those people in. They want to promote that. So and in your case, being sub three, I can tell you, I know their standard 100%. You'll be able to get into the race. Oh, um, awesome. I think it's, I don't know what it used to be called Tokyo something one run, whatever it was. I have information on it somewhere. I share it with people when they're trying to figure out how they can get in to these races. And since you're already in Berlin, you'll have Berlin out of the way and London, you know, I don't think London has any standards like that. I'm pretty sure they don't. Um, and you're not a master's runner yet, so you can't get in via I that. I am, actually. Oh, well, then you can get yeah, in. Yeah, I'm, you I'm can, 42. <laughs> okay, so there you go. You can get in through the World Age Group Marathon, you know. Yes, that's, that is my hope. But then we don't know, like, if they'll keep it in London, or do we think they will? Um. Well, it may not be there for this particular. Uh, actually, it is there again this year for uh, 2022. Um, I'm not sure where it'll be for 2023. That's up in the air. I don't know. That, I'd be cool with them keeping it in London every year. I think it's a great place. It's international. It's a great course, but we'll see. We'll see what goes on with that. Um, but let's jump back a little bit. Um, so going to college, you know, you you went from swimming to getting involved with crew, right? You got involved with rowing and, and made a change of direction there, right? Yeah, so I had had um, a little time off my senior year um, and did some some coaching with swimming. I coached at a boys and girls club, uh, the eight and unders and the 10 and unders as an assistant coach, which was so much fun. Uh, and then when I moved on to college, uh, I saw tryouts for the novice crew team. And I was like, hey, you know, I'll try out and see what I had never rode before. I didn't know really anything about it, but uh, I tried out and I made the team. Um, 
And that was great. I, once again, another awesome opportunity, met so many people through, through rowing, uh, got to travel. I was at university of Miami at the time. So I got to travel to Tennessee and Georgia and several other States down there where we competed. Um, and just had another great time there. I did transfer my sophomore year, uh, over to BU where I did, I was part of their team as well for, for about a year and a half. Um, Got to row and head of the Charles, which was an incredible opportunity. Another thing, like being from the Boston area is, you know, one of those big like life things to check off, like head of the Charles, awesome experience. Um, and then un unfortunately I was sidelined with mono uh, my junior year and just wasn't never able to really fully like come back from that. It just really the fatigue and uh, just what it did to my body. I just couldn't go back. It was division one. And what they expected you to do with, you know, two a days, weights, the ultra competitiveness of it. Like I, my body just couldn't get back to that level as quickly as they, they were trying to push me to. So I had to kind of take a step back from that, um, you know, partway through my junior year, unfortunately. Well, that type of physical exertion, that kind of working out. And again, you, you had the two a days with swimming and you were doing weights in your swimming, even in your high school days. And now you're in college and now you have your classes and you have your workload. It's very common for kids to get mono from just being beaten down. I mean, you can just be tired from staying, being up studying, but when you're throwing that kind of workload in physically and that demanding, it's not that shocking of an outcome and it's not an easy thing to come back from. It really is a difficult thing. Um, but you know, you had two different sports that you're just building up huge power, huge strength. And endurance, man. I mean, so you you were literally setting yourself up for the perfect on-ramp to get into running, even though it hadn't really come into focus yet. Um, but that was uh, that was great. And you enjoyed the crew, right? The whole experience with the athletes and coaching and all that stuff, right? Yeah, some of my best college friends still are from the crew team. Even after I left the team, like a lot of us still lived together, hung out together, did spring break together. I'm still in touch with a lot of them today. In fact, actually... A positive of COVID is Zoom becoming so big because we've started, you know, before we were just kind of emailing, maybe talk occasionally, but we started doing some Zooms together, started kind of seeing each other again and meeting each other's kids and uh, just another kind of positive thing that came out of it. Getting the band back together, as we say. Um, yeah, you got to stoke the fire in those relationships and, you know, keep them, keep them alive because it's too easy for things to fall away. And then you lose track of people or lose touch with people. And, um, it's, it reinvigorates everybody, you know, to see each other's faces and be like, Hey, who has kids? Who's doing this? Or who's you you're running now. So like, I mean, everybody's doing something different. Somebody else might be doing triathlon or somebody might be doing some other sport, but it's just a great way, you know, to kind of reconnect and, and, uh, you know, get back together. Right. Yeah. It was just great to hear what everybody's doing and kind of just catching up and, we spent so much time together during college, you know, with being on the crew team, it was like, you know, you were up early, you were out on the river after, you know, classes, you were at the gym. Um, they were pretty strict about like the weights and everything. You had to like sign in, you had somebody who watched you, made sure you did everything you were supposed to, you know, you didn't get away with anything at division one. It was like, you've got to do X, Y, Z. They kept track of your weights. They told you if you had to add more, you, you had to add more. Uh, there was definitely <laughs> no cheating there. No shortcuts. No shortcuts. No. And you know what? It leads itself right into uh, perfect on-ramp for marathoning because the people in life who are looking for the cheat codes and the hacks and 
you know, they want the easy way. They're not going to do well in marathoning. They might do well in some other aspect of running, but they are not going to do well as a marathon runner because there are no corners to cut. Bases have to be built. Strength must be built. Miles must be run. And then you need to add the sharpening and the speed and all the other things that go along with it. Um, not to mention honing the mental side of your, uh, getting your mind right, you know, getting confident, believing in yourself, all that other kind of stuff. But um, one fun story I remember, you know, we shared some information before you coming on um, about uh, a surgery that you had as a kid and kind of maybe less, more or less your first exposure to Boston. So I'd love for you to share uh, some of that because I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. So, um, back when I was around 12, I was in seventh grade, uh, my appendix burst and I was in the hospital probably for about a week. And while I was there, you know, you don't get too many channels really in the hospital. So you limited choices of what you can watch, but I did manage to watch coverage of the Boston marathon and I was watching it and, you know, being an athlete at the time and all, into all kinds of sports, I was just so drawn to it and so inspired watching it, you know, watching the award ceremony after like I caught the finish and, you know, them getting the reefs on their head. And I just remember being like, wow, this is so amazing. I'm going to do this someday. I'm going to run the Boston marathon. And I had absolutely zero idea what that meant, what training for a marathon was any of that stuff. But it was something that always stuck with me. Like I said it to my parents, I said it to other people. It was something that I kept with me, you know, from age 12 on, um, that I was going to do that Boston marathon someday. That's so cool. Um, and it's amazing how, you know, television, it's so different now for all of us. I mean, our kids growing up in like the star Wars world where every phone and iPad can tap into like, you know, 5 trillion, you know, apps and games and sites and just everything anywhere on demand, and, you know, I grew up with literally, I don't know, five or six different television channels. And, you know, that was it. But those five or six different television channels could also bring you the New York City Marathon, could bring you the Boston Marathon, um, even though that might have been a local Boston channel that was putting it on or a local New York channel, you know, with television rights, somehow it would show up on whatever channel in your area. And uh, it, it it's something, man. I wasn't a runner. I was a baseball player in, in high school and college, but I would watch the New York City Marathon the same way you're describing and just be like in awe, like watching Greta Weitz, who won, I think, nine times in New York, just blowing up First Avenue and not another woman anywhere near her. Or, you know, um, you know, back then, Bill Rogers, you know, was had run won a bunch of New York's and Boston's, you know, when he was at the top of his game and Salazar and all these other runners. I mean, it just blows your mind, you know, seeing them just like run these crazy fast times. But, you know, it made such an impression on you, you know, that you just said you were going to do it one day. And a lot of people say stuff like that, but they don't really actually carry it through. So it's kind of fun that it actually kind of came to life. Um, but before we get into your actual races, like kind of bring us into, you know, when you kind of got your start, cause you know, so let's say post collegiately, like when did you kind of jump into the fray and just start getting involved loosely with running before you became like hardcore serious about it? Like you are now. So that's the thing. Like I kind of just jumped right into it. Um, I, uh, after doing crew, when I stopped, I wanted to keep in shape. So I, I probably did run maybe five, six miles, you know, every couple of days along the Charles, like I just kind of recreationally did that, but it was more of just to stay in shape. Like I never really raced or did anything like that. Um, until the opportunity came, came knocking on my door. 
So my senior year of college, I was working at a club in downtown Boston. It was a health club uh, slash social club. And a lot of the members there were training for the marathon and they'd be like talking about it. And a lot of them cross-trained in the pool where I was a lifeguard. And when, as they talked about it, I'd be, I'd be asking all kinds of questions. It sounded so interesting to me. And I told them all about how I had seen it before. And it was a dream of mine to run it someday. And I must've told this story to just so many people there. And to this day, I still don't know who, but someone there contacted John Hancock on my behalf, who's a sponsor, a big sponsor of the Boston Marathon. And I got a phone call and at the pool and somebody came to see me and said, Hey, I'm from John Hancock. You know, I want to know, are you really serious about this? Do you want to run the Boston Marathon? And I was like, yes, I'm serious. I definitely, I want to run it. And he said, are you going to train for it? You know, I don't want you to go out there and, you know, I have to make sure you're serious. And I was like, oh no, I'm serious. You know, and they offered me an invitational bib to run the 2002 Boston Marathon my senior year of college. Um, So that was my first start. I kind of jumped right to the marathon. I I don't even think I had done a 5k or 10k or anything like besides like a couple of road races as a kid, I kind of jumped right from zero to the marathon easily the greatest intro to running story ever, you know, pool members and, and, uh, you know, a gym pool membership, social club, where of course runners, we never talk about running or training for marathons. We would (laughs) never do such a thing. That's pretty much the only thing we ever fucking talk about is our long runs and our training runs and how we're going to do this and that. Um, so you're in the middle of all that buzz and, you know, you just kind of share that you're interested and it leads you to getting an invitational bib from John Hancock, which is just absolutely insane and amazingly cool. Um, and I also think it's incredibly cool that they were actually worried about you enough to ask, like, are you going to be serious about it and train? Because, hey, they don't want you to go out there and like break yourself and get injured and, you know, be in over your head. Um, but you go from like, that's not zero to 60 for car speed. That's like, I don't know, zero to 180. Maybe we'll just skip five Ks. We'll skip 10 Ks. We'll skip the half marathon. We'll skip all of it. We'll just go right into a marathon. And let's start with Boston for our first marathon. We'll just go right to the head of the class, numero uno. And what year did you say? Was it 2002? You said 2002. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and you know, so what did you do? Um, you know, back then coaching this kind of coaching that we know about from, you know, like a Brendan O'Leary and ORT and, and, uh, McCurdy and so many Greg McMillan and all these great running coaching platforms, that stuff maybe really didn't exist at that point. Certainly not in 2002, most of running and coaching and stuff would have been literally like faxing a coach or, you know, maybe email for sure, some workouts back and forth. But it was a very different process than it is today where everything could even be done via Zoom and, you know, posting workouts and electronically sharing. So how did you uh, go about this thing once you found out you got the bib? Like, what was your approach? <laughs> Lucky for me that computers were around then. So I was able to kind of search in the computer, like running a marathon, like how to train, you know, <laughs> basic stuff like that. And just found some kind of really basic, like marathon for beginners plan. And, you know, just kind of followed that, uh, did most of my runs, I believe around the Charles. Like I remember even going out like on some really crappy weather days. And I remember feeling really hardcore saying to my roommates, you know, they'd be out like drinking the night before. And I'd be like, I'm going to go run like 17 miles around the Charles river. And they'd be like, what, you know, they thought I was like totally crazy. Um, but it was a really cool experience that it was my senior year of college too, because I had like all my college friends there and like the marathon, like basically, 
you know, goes right by that area. So I was able to have like all my college friends from BU come out and kind of, um, kind of cheer me on, which was really cool. Amazing. So you were still in college at this point. Yeah. So that was, uh, my senior year of college. Uh, so it was pretty incredible because the marathon just kind of comes, you know, right pretty close to VU and, uh, goes right by BC and you have all the college kids there. And I had some friends at BC too. So I was able to kind of have everybody come out and cheer and hang out on the course. And it was just such an incredible first time. And I, I look back and I kind of laugh at myself because I had on like a cotton shirt, like cotton, like tank top, like my shoes look like there were some type of hiking boots or something. <laughs> I don't even know if they're running shoes. And I had like mesh basketball shorts on. Like I just, <laughs> I really didn't know what I was doing, but somehow I managed to run a 342, which was only two minutes off my age group qualifying time for Boston. And so I kind of just shocked myself because I, you know, I didn't have a watch at the time. I didn't really have like particularly a goal time. I was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to run this, run it the best I can and and see what happens. And, um, of course, after doing that, knowing how close I was, I was like that competitive edge just totally said, Oh, you got to do this again. You got to qualify next time though. You got to run it for real. You know, hearing all the runners talking about qualifying and, how special it was. I was like, I've got to do this again, but I'm not going to do it until I can, you know, qualify myself and, and run it as a qualified runner. Amazing. Um, on so many levels, cause you know, you're in college for Christ's sakes. I mean, and a college that's right there. Um, so they can be out on the course, they can cheer for you. Um, they can root for you, you know, be out in different sections and, um, yeah, we're going to need to see the photos. They're going to have to make the collage for sure. We're going to need to see some of those <laughs> photos, man, because some of the gear we used to run in was kind of scary, but we didn't have all this cool shit like we have today. We didn't have all these cool tech fabrics and be able to customize our jerseys and put logos on stuff. I and mean, we just ran with whatever the hell we had and sneakers were whatever was around that fit. And that was it. Um, but what an amazing experience and literally practically running a BQ in your first marathon doing some sort of internet training plan, you know, it was probably Hal Higdon or somebody's plan like was. that. I don't know for sure, yeah. but I'm guessing it yeah. probably was. That's usually what comes up. Yeah. Either way, man, it's amazing. Um, and obviously now you're hooked at this point, you know, cause like you've run the greatest marathon in the world. You have a connection to Boston from your crew and rowing on the Charles and all that. And, you know, to be around that area and that neighborhood and go to school, you know, finish up school there at BU, you certainly get this amazing reverence and mystical quality that the Boston Marathon has. It's like legendary from there. When you're from there and just get a feel for what it's like, no shock that those guys were talking about it because that's all anybody talks about. I mean, hell, the damn whole city is closed down. It's Patriots Day. The Red Sox play a day game, but the marathon is center stage. There's nothing that outranks the Boston Marathon in Boston. It's literally the biggest thing that happens. And, you know, here you are as a college kid and you get to rock the race and, and practically run a BQ in your first time. So, Totally amazing. I mean, do you remember the course or was it just like a blur? Like, I mean, because literally you must have had no idea what you were doing. You had no idea where the hills were, any of that stuff. It's like no, today. I don't, I don't think I knew any of that, which is yeah. crazy to think about now because I've run Boston so many times and like I've trained so much like on the course that like I probably know it back and forth. But at the time, I, I probably don't think I had like any idea what I was getting into, you know, like all I knew was, okay, you know, my parents are going to be at mile 20. My friends were going to be down near Kenmore. You know, I just knew like those focal points and that was about it. Yeah. I mean, that's all you needed to know. Right. 
and then just I have to finish. You know, I gotta I gotta cross the finish line. So that must have been pretty amazing at that age. You know, a twenty-something-year-old to get a Boston Marathon medal around your neck, to be like walking on Boylston Street in a sea of runners. It had to be a pretty amazing feeling, right? It really was. Like I just remember at the finish, it's the one time. Um, you know, now that I've done it so many times, it doesn't have the fanfare for my family as much as it did. But that first time, like everyone came and they came and like met me at the finish and you know, had flowers for me, you know, went out to dinner. Like it was just this really big, really special moment, uh, in my life. And just, you know, something like I'll definitely always cherish and especially how it happened. Like I think back and I'm like, wow, it was just so crazy. Like that one being in that right place at that right time and getting that opportunity to run Boston sort of like shifted my whole life. Like, I don't know if I ever would have gotten into running the way I am now, if I didn't have like that moment and that connection. Yeah. I mean, all of it, it's, it's all pieced together. Um, you know, the invitational bib, working at that club, being around the people who realized you had an interest and then, you know, saying, Hey, I'm, I'm not just going to show up. I better take this seriously. You know, you, you could have been out partying with your roommates and other people and not, not running 17 miles on a weekend, uh, in shitty weather. Um, so you, you did what you needed to do and you had an amazing first, uh, result. And yeah, there's only going to be one first time anything truly, um, you know, where the family is amazed and shocked. And, you know, after that, it's all like, oh, Aaron's going to run another marathon. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe not, they're not that, uh, low key, but at some point they're like, oh yeah, whatever. She's running another marathon. Okay, great. You know, let's hooray, go Aaron. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not easy to get that kind of like, whoa, my mom's a badass or my, or from your friends. Like, wow, my friend is like totally amazing. Like, I can't believe she did that. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, maybe my recent CIM race might have like gotten a little bit of that kind of reaction from people. But other than that, uh, yeah, like they're just like, oh, another marathon, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, we can't jump right to CIM because we have a lot of other, you know, meat and potatoes to get to. So after that run, um, you put together a pretty amazing streak of Boston's. You ran a lot of Boston's. So talk a little bit about that, you know, like how you got involved you know, and how many you ran, because you ran a, a, quite a few successfully, um, in succession, I mean, um, and had a pretty long streak going, you know, before you had kids. So talk a little about that and, and what that was like. So after college, uh, you know, I was out living on my own for the first time. So I wasn't quite ready to, to jump right back into it. But by the time 2004 rolled around, I felt like I was ready to make that BQ attempt. Um, so 2004 came at that point, I decided to run the New York City Marathon. I set my sights on that as the place to get my first BQ. The only time I've run New York, actually, I, I think I got to come back for that one. Yeah, again you're, you're coming back. We're going to rectify that. <laughs> so, yeah, so 2004, uh, I did New York and that was actually the, I met my husband right before that. So he actually got to experience that to see me kind of go through that whole cycle and qualify for my first Boston. Um, so that time around. This is so random to think back to, but I actually um, met another runner on Craigslist who was also trying to train for New York and was also trying to qualify for Boston. So thinking Craigslist sounds so sketchy these days, but back then it was like pretty legit. So we actually ended up meeting up and we did a lot of our training together, like on the Charles and we'd meet up like every week, do our long runs and kind of train together. So it was a really fun experience. just kind of getting to know each other and having this um, great time training and then getting to go with my husband to New York. My husband's actually from New York. So 
it was a whole nother kind of fun angle to it because he had a bunch of his friends come in to see me do New York Marathon. So we met up with a bunch of his friends uh, the night before the race. And I remember just having those like, you know, jitters like, oh, I've been working so hard for this. Like, is it going to happen? And um, one of his friends made me do a good luck shot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the night before and that's something still to this day like I always like to have just that like one glass of wine or one something the night before just to kind of take that edge off and just kind of help you relax a little bit um and then it was just a fabulous day uh running New York I just remember the crowds being so so incredible and so so loud I actually never saw my husband never saw his friends my parents had come to I never saw them because I didn't know the area and there's just the crowds are so so like so thick, so deep. I never saw anybody. Um, but I just remember crossing that finish line and being like, oh my God, I did it. Like I'm actually going to Boston this time as a qualified runner. This is amazing. You know, I'm being just so elated and so happy. And back then you could sign up for Boston much later than you can now. So I would, that was 2004 New York, but I was able to get into Boston for that next year, 2005 for, for April, which was great. Yeah, they've they've changed the timing. Uh, the gaps are, you know, like you you can't do a, as late a race as New York that following year. You know, that next coming Boston, um, which I miss in the old days, the way you could do that. So you could have a great race there, and then just kind of, you know, parlay it right into it. But what a cool experience! Yeah, New York New York crowds are not like anything else. I mean, the energy of a New York City marathon is is an energy that can't even be described properly. Um, you know, as much as I love Boston and has a piece of my heart, you know, running in the 99th and hundredth and now just the one twenty fifth recently, um, New York is next level. It's completely different. Um, it's just wild. It's, it's atmosphere, it's energy. It's, it's just everything. It's just a party, man. It's a, it's a five barrel block party as they say, and it never ends. I mean, it never ends it, you know, until well after you've picked up your, race bag and you're out of central park and even then it's still oozing it's still flowing the energy and vibe is still just so you know it's so powerful i just remember the start like being on the you know those bridges and just i always get like a little bit emotional at the start of a race like i want to cry because i'm just i don't know the emotions overtake me and i just it's like the culmination of all that training of everything you've done I just get this like excitement, but this nervousness. And I also just want to kind of cry because I'm so excited. Like it's hard to explain, but I just get this real excitement. And I just remember like not every race necessarily does that to me, but definitely Boston and definitely remember that, that emotion at New York with all those people and just that big, exciting start. Well, you're on the Verrazano um, for anybody that might be listening that hasn't run New York yet. And we'll, again, you need to rectify that problem or else you can't listen to my show anymore. Everyone has to run New York City at some point. But you're on the Verrazano Bridge, upper or lower, doesn't matter. The views are beyond spectacular. You got tugboats down below in in the harbor, spraying water up. You've got helicopters, New York City helicopter, police helicopters buzzing on both sides of the Verrazano Bridge. You got New York, New York, you know, Frank Sinatra blasting. It's just, it's wild. It's hard to imagine. And if you didn't get emotional, I would wonder, you know, if you were like a cyborg because I've run (laughs) 10 New Yorks and I get that emotional every single time. I could be, you know, just goofing around with friends, walking out to the bridge, you know, taking selfies with everybody now, which is so different because no one had phones at races back then. And, you know, hell, when I started, we didn't even have phones, period, man, because I'm that (laughs) fucking old. But I mean, you're on the, you're on 
on the bridge and all this stuff's happening. You're taking selfies and like two minutes later, you hear this song come on. Yeah, you could like burst out into tears easily. Um, and then, you know, you're cresting, you know, the biggest hill up the Verrazano. And then you get to go down a huge hill and bomb down into Brooklyn. And then it just, the party just, it never stops. It just, every borough, every street, every section, the signs, the people, the energy, the singing, the people, um, they just carry you, man. And then you get to finish the party in Central Park, which is my favorite place where I've run like a billion miles. So a great experience. And what did you end up running in New York for your first and only New York? Um, I think like a 335. Sweet. So well under your BQ standard, but a time that you will obliterate when you come back. But yeah. uh, we'll work definitely, on- Definitely we'll, gonna have to go on the schedule at some point. Yeah, that's okay. But so, but that got you onto the BQ train versus like an invitation bib. And then you started like a huge streak, right? Like how many Boston's in a row did you run? Yeah, so then I did Boston 2005, uh, all the way through to 2012, uh, every year. Just like you said before, like being from the Boston area, it is like nothing. Like if, if people know you run, they're like, are you doing Boston? You know, it's, I actually have that, that kind of like fear of missing out this year because I'm not running Boston <laughs> because it's, all you hear about kind of in the, in the running community, you know, all everybody talks about. And there's just that buzz and that excitement, like everywhere and being local, just being able to have family and friends come. Um, it just makes it even more of an incredible experience. Just having everybody be able to be there. And, you know, it's a party on the street for the spectators really too. Well, that's a hell of a streak you put together and you qualified for all of them. But I think sometimes, um, a year off is great. And you can actually go, you can go watch the race. I mean, you can go out in the course and cheer your head off for Dez and Yuki's coming back or whoever you like or don't like. I mean, you can cheer for like some Boston female runners that are strong, you know, that have, uh, you know, a following, whoever it is, like get out there, man, and cheer your head off and, you know, be involved, even though you're not going to run it this year. Um, and just dream of, you know, what's, what's next and what's to come because, after your long streak there, you know, that's when we kind of go into your uh, having kids phase, right? And, you know, like having some kids and taking a little break, right? Yeah. So uh, 2013 came around and, you know, I was actually signed up to run Boston that year. Um, but then I had my daughter, Violet. Uh, she's nine now. Um, but when I had her, unfortunately, I had a lot of complications after the birth um, that went on, unfortunately, for weeks uh, where I was hospitalized multiple times and nobody could figure out what was going on. And that was really the scariest part about it is that like no one knew what was wrong with me. And like I just kept having these episodes where I'd black out and I'd have, you know, be have to be rushed to the hospital by ambulance once and no one could figure it out. And then it took them about eight weeks to figure out like what was wrong. Um, that unfortunately an, an artery had been like nicked during the C-section, but no one knew that, uh, at first. So that kind of put a damper on everything. And I remember once they figured it out and they, you know, were able to treat it. I said, so now I'm going to be able to run the marathon still. And the doctor's like, no, you're not going to be able to run the marathon. <laughs> and I was devastated. And I remember just crying and I was like, but, but, but I've run the marathon so many years in a row. Like I have to run the marathon. Like I didn't want to break that streak. You know, I would, thought I'd just keep doing Boston every year. I thought I'd make it to those, you know, 25 consecutive, which they make a big deal out of. Um, and then I realized it's just so much harder as a woman to be able to do that. Like if you have kids, you know, you can't really plan around that. You can't, 
necessarily schedule when they're going to come. Unfortunately, they kind of have a mind of their own. Um, so that happened. And I was just, I was so sad about not being able to do it. And, you know, then that ended up being the year 2013 of the bombing, um, which was even more difficult for me um, because I felt like I should have been there. You know, I had this just strong pull, like I should have been there. I was signed up. Why wasn't I there? Like every other runner I know was there. Like I was running with the running club at the time, uh, Cambridge Running Club, CRC. And that was kind of the talk of everyone, like the bombing, what happened. And I just had this like thing inside me that was just so upset that like I wasn't there that day that like I should have been there. I was there every year. Like, why wasn't I there that year? You know, and my husband's like, you should be happy. You should be thankful you weren't there. But like, I didn't see it that way. Like I just had this strong emotion that it was like meant to be that I should have been there at that time, you know? I, I totally understand. And I also understand why your husband would see it that way. Um, you know, Hey, he's looking out for you. You're, you know, you guys are partners in life, uh, partners in crime and, uh, husband and wife to your children. So, um, you know, he, he's going to have that viewpoint for sure, but it's similar, you know, it's not similar to war, like survivor's guilt or something, but yeah, I mean, anybody who's had that long of a streak and worked so hard to put a streak like that together and doesn't really know what's going on with their health and finds out in the end that they nicked an artery during a C-section, like at least you got an answer because at that point you didn't even know what was going on. Like you're just having these random episodes and you know, they, you don't really know like what's happening. It could be something far, far more serious, you know, God forbid. And thankfully it wasn't. But I could totally relate and understand. I don't think there's a single runner who trains seriously and cares so much about the sport that would ever like not be thinking the way you were thinking. That's exactly how any hardcore runner would be thinking. Like, of course, am I okay? Of course, it's it's the first question any of us ask if we have a stress fracture or came back from a surgery or anything else. Like, well, can, when can I start running? It's literally the only thing we think about. Um, and then, you know, to be shut out of it, um, and then hear everybody talking about it. it is, it's emotional and will always be emotional. And I wasn't there that year either. Um, and it was one of the few years I, I wasn't. Um, and people were texting me from all over with the same thing. Like, are you okay? Are you safe? And I happened to be on a company incentive trip in the islands. And it was just one of these things where I needed to be at my, it's, it's just an incentive trip for our top performers and husbands and wives and people to reward them for, you know, what they do and what they accomplish. And, you know, for many years, Boston just didn't line up. I mean, Boston and that trip didn't line up for me. And you can't just, you know, not be there for the employees that matter to you as well. And there was just one year I just said, no, I have to go. I got to go on the company trip and I've got to be there for the key employees and the top people who work so hard for us. And, you know, who would have known you know, that what was going to happen then or how it was going to rally the running community and just, you know, kind of create this whole Boston strong. We went through it in New York, obviously, after the towers went down the 2001 race. You know, I, I've told the story on this podcast before, feeling on the Verrazano Bridge, Aaron, like not feeling safe until I got across that bridge. Like I know it's, it's irrational. It doesn't make any sense, but you know, when crazy things are happening and buildings are being blown up and so many people are dying, you know, the first thing you're thinking of is, oh, somebody's going to blow the Verrazano Bridge up while we're running across. So um, all those emotions, whether you somebody else thinks they're legit or not, it doesn't really matter. You can feel whatever you, you're feeling or not feeling. So I'm not surprised at all that you had that strong of a feeling about 
not being there and not being part of that, you know, major event, if you will. Um, but you know, that's that. And thankfully you weren't, or even if you were, you probably would have been finished before all of the things happened, but still you just never know. You don't know. Even if you were finished, you don't know if you would have made your way back, you know, towards the finish area to wait for someone else. You just don't know, you know, what could have happened. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I know like rationally, I know that, but it was just, it was tough, you know, it was, it was a tough time to go through and it just kind of shut me down for a while from running, running. Like I just felt like, I don't know, an outsider from running all of a sudden. I just, I really kind of shut it off. And I remember thinking I'm never going to run again. Like it just had that impact on me. You know, everybody else was kind of gung ho, like Boston strong, all this stuff. I internally just felt the opposite. Like I just had this strong reaction that I never want to do this again. Like, I'm going to throw away all my running stuff. Only I couldn't actually do that. So I packed it all in boxes. (laughs) Still have it because I couldn't actually bear to throw it away. But I just packed it all in boxes. And I was like, I can't look at this stuff. Like I can't be involved in running right now. Um, And I kind of took that that hiatus for a couple of years from running. Hey, it's a strong, huge emotional, you know, tidal wave of emotions that, you know, anybody whether they were there that day or not, it's Boston, it's our race, it matters to us. It has that kind of impact, the same as, you know, in 2001, you know, for us with the, you know, 9-11 and the towers going down and how many families were affected and just the emotions of it are just raw. And so that's the reaction that you can have, um, you know, like, hey, I'll, let's show all these people or not, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. So so you you took a pretty good hiatus. Um and you like kind of stepped away. And uh, I think this is like really interesting um, because I ran in 2018. Um, so I was out there for the monsoon and I was out there that day when Yuki and Des got it done. But um, you had had a pretty nice gap and you're running a nice break. And that's kind of the day everything changed for you, right? In 2018, watching the race that year. Yeah. So 2016, uh, I started at a new job and there was a coworker there who knew I used to run. And so he started getting on me all the time. His name was Steve. And he was always like, come on, you got to go for a run for me. You got to join the, there was a gym in the building. He's like, join the gym with me, come to the gym with me. And he used to run on his lunch break and go down the gym. And so finally, you know, he kept harassing me. So I was like, all right, like I'll go, go for a run with you. So I started running with him like on my lunch breaks and we just run around the Charles like it was in Boston. Uh, So we just do like three, four miles. It was just like really easy conversational pace. Um, But it just kind of brought back that love of running because it wasn't about times. It wasn't about, you know, racing. It was just about two people having fun, chatting, just running, you know, and it just kind of started to bring back a little bit of that love for running. Uh, And then one day, the day of the Boston Marathon 2018 (laughs) was, as you said, the monsoon. And it was just the craziest weather. And we decided we'd be hardcore and go out for a run on the Charles that day. And as we were running, it started like downpouring on us. And I remember I just started laughing hysterically. And I was like, this is crazy. And I was just laughing and laughing. And I was like, can you even imagine these people running a marathon in this weather? This is insane. And I just kept laughing over and over again. I just, I don't know why. I just found the whole thing so funny. And he still laughs at me to this day but uh, for you know, just having that reaction. But every time it started raining harder, I would just start laughing more because I was like, this is insane. So we finished up. And by the time we got kind of in after lunch and, you know, 
got done at the gym, you know, the TVs were on and we got to see the end of the marathon and we saw Des come in for the win, Des Linden. And something just like snapped in me seeing that I was like, wow, like an American woman, like winning this, this is like amazing. I just kept watching like the replays of it and like all the news on it. And I started feeling super inspired again. I remember saying to Steve, I'm thinking about trying to qualify for Boston again. I think I want to do, start doing this again. Uh, and then, you know, the more I thought about it, I'm like, yes, I, I want to do this again. So I ended up signing up for Erie uh, in September of 2018 uh, to have, have that as my comeback race. Uh, so, you know, went into that, that was post kids and they did come out to see that race. So that was like the first time they got to experience like running with me, which was pretty cool. Uh, so they came out to Erie and got to see me run. I ran uh, a three eighteen there, um, which was actually pretty crazy. Cause I kind of went into it just trying to be somewhat conservative, just wanted to qualify for Boston, like have a strong race. And then looking back, like I finished with like a negative split. And I was like, wow, maybe I could have even like PR'd that day if I had kind of pushed it. But I didn't have any idea like that I was in that kind of good shape. Um, but I was just so excited to get back into it and to be able to run Boston again um, in 2019. Uh, that was great. So let's go back to the 2018 day. I mean, I was out there. Um the wind was blowing, you know, when it blew hard, it was 35 miles an hour. When it eased off, it was 15 or 20. It was, there were no real lulls. I mean, maybe for a few seconds. And, you know, I was like running through the puddles in the beginning because I'm an idiot and I'm dumb and I still think I'm like eight years old. And, you know, <laughs> maturity wise, I probably am around 13 or so. I'm not 61. But I thought it'd be fun to do that until all of a sudden my toes were numb and I couldn't feel like my ankles and, you know, it just kept getting colder and colder. And I think the reason so many people got hypothermia that day was not just that it was so cold or what we wore for clothing. It just, fueling just became impossible. I mean, for one thing, you know, drinks were knocked over, the wind blew, blew everything over. It wasn't like things were set up like normally where you could just go get a water or a Gatorade anywhere you want. That wasn't it just wasn't real. I mean, the you know, the rain is coming down and pelting us. You can't even see practically. And the wind only blows. You're going in one direction when you run to Boston. So if the wind is in your face, it's in your face the whole way. It's not in your face part of the way. It's the entire way. And I remember at points just yelling, is that all you fucking have? Is that all you got for us? And then like 10 seconds later, the wind would blow like 20 miles an hour more. I'm like, oh man, I never learned. When am I going to learn? You know, but I mean, what an experience. And um, if I were watching it on TV... I might've even been more fired up because, you know, like just to see them push through and Yuki got no respect. They kept making fun of Yuki because he was surging and he had the lead and then he gave it back. And they were just like, who is this dude? What is he doing? It was like in the old days of the New York marathon when some like, you know, pretty like local elite runner would just take the lead over the Verrazano to be on TV. But, you know, you, he'd be gone after 5K, you know, but he'd get on the television coverage. So it's kind of a cool thing to do. But Yuki like won. <laughs> You know, and they were like refusing to even acknowledge him until like it was obvious that he was going to win. Um, and Dez, you know, what can you say? Everybody loves Dez. Um, 
You know, I think the funniest thing I ever read in my life was that Des was trying to take her Brooks jacket off, her rain jacket, you know, so she could, you know, they could see her bib and, you know, all the stuff she's crossing the line. And she said the zipper wasn't working. It was getting stuck. And it just like flashed through her head. You idiot. Like, what if you like fall down or something happens to you while you're getting this jacket off and somebody passes you? And only Des would be just honest enough to just share something like that, which is why everybody like loves her even more. Um, but she couldn't get her jacket off and she was trying trying to get it off. So, you know, she could come across the finish line with like a race bib there, but what a day. Uh, and that fires you up and it gets you back into the game. You come back to Erie and you got your kids on the course. I mean, that's a big deal. So, I mean, that as a mom, as a dad, I know what an impact, you know, it's had having my son on the course a couple of times for me and I had to, do you think it played a part? Um, cause you said you surprised yourself. You think it played a part that they were out there that day and you get a chance to show them what mom's all about. Mom's a badass, or no, you just think you just had a good yeah, day. No, I, I think that definitely <laughs> was like pretty exciting for me because the way the course is in area too, you can like really easily see people like multiple times. Like you can see somebody and then almost like cross the street, see them again. So I think I probably saw them like at least four times. So it was like really easy. That, that was actually one of the other reasons I picked it. Cause I figured if the kid, I wanted the kids to like kind of see it and experience it because it was such a big deal to me and I wanted to have them there. So that was like one of the reasons I picked that course too, because I knew it would be easy for my husband to kind of manage them and kind of like bring them back and forth. Uh, you know, because they were still like pretty young at that time, I'm thinking too that they must have been like four and five. So, uh, and he was had to kind of wrangle them around. But it was cute. They had made signs for me. Um, I love gummy bears. I'm obsessed with gummy bears. And I still remember they had some kind of sign. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said something like, you know, get to the finish line and get your gummy bears or something to do with gummy bears. And uh, I remember that just kind of like pumping me up and making me, you know, really excited. And, you know, they were really excited for me at the end. Uh, I knew how excited I was. And it's fun being able to share some of those big moments, you know, they, they're not necessarily there for like every single race, but I love to be able to share kind of the big, like special moments with them. Yeah, of course, man. And, that, and also, uh, fittingly Erie worked out to be a good course for them to be able to see them a bunch of times, um, and not be such a challenge. Cause at four and five, that isn't easy work for your husband to manage <laughs> either. So we've got to give him some, uh, some, some major bonus points for, uh, for managing that and getting them around the course that day to be out there and supporting you. And 318, man, you're like seriously starting to dial it in. You're getting strong. You're getting really fit. Um, it's kind of at this point where you start thinking about making a move and hiring a coach, right? If I'm, if my memory serves correctly. Um, well, for, I had another like minor setback first. Um, I, I did had started thinking about it, but I ended up kind of training on my own for 2019 Boston. And I had a hamstring strain about three weeks out from the race. Um, and at that point I was just so devastated again. I was like, Oh, how could this happen? Like, you know, I'm still going after this 310 goal that I had set back in 2010 or something that I had been trying to strive toward. So at that point, I, I do manage to do PT, all that kind of stuff. And I do manage to run the race, not as fast as I planned, but I managed to kind of get through it and run it. Uh, and then after that point, I'm like, you know what, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> maybe I should think about hiring a coach. Maybe that's the thing that's going to push me over that line. And finally get me to the point where I can break 310. Um, because, you know, I've tried, had tried so many other different things. And I was like, I got to try something new. 
And I remember I talked to my husband about it and he's like, well, you know what you're doing. You've run like 20 marathons. Like, don't you know how to do this? And I'm like, well, obviously maybe I don't know everything because, you know, I've, I've been stuck at the same time. I had run 314 down to the same exact seconds twice. Like I couldn't even be a second faster, the exact same seconds. And then I ran a 314 again, but like a couple seconds faster. Um, but I was just kind of stuck there and like, I wasn't seeing any progress. So at that point, that was when I decided to, to hire a coach. Yeah. Well, look, it's important, um, for anybody listening, we're all going to plateau at some point. Um, we all might even regress and go the other way. Um, you, you just don't know with running, um, what, I mean, obviously there's big life moments too: getting married, getting divorced, having kids. I mean, job changes, moves, physically moving to different locations. A lot of these things can really upset the apple cart or boost us, you know, emotionally. Like, wow, things are really going well in our personal lives and our work lives, family lives. Um, but with running, when we get stuck at a certain point, that's a perfect time to re-examine why we're stuck, like what's going on. Um, you know, like, what are you going to do differently if you are the one who's kind of administering your plan, right? You're the one figuring out how many miles a week you're going to run and are you going to do a track workout and what kind of long run are you going to do and what kind of paces are you going to run? Like when you're fully in charge of that and you're, you're the arbiter of that um, and we're stuck and we can't get through whatever that number is, it's the perfect time. So kudos to you for at least saying, hey man, I, I got to take a look and see if there's a better way to do this. And, you know, one of the things we talked about before we came on the show, some of the best running coaches around who also happen to be elite or semi-elite runners also have someone else coach them. Um, so there's a reason for that because it's important to have somebody who can literally just look out for Aaron's best interest, Ron's best interest, or someone else's to know like, Hey, she has a lot on her plate right now. Work is, really heavy load. Life is a heavy load. Like other things are going on. A parent passed away. Something happened. Like let's dial things back, you know, for a couple of weeks. Let's really make an adjustment here. Or no, man, she's like killing it right now. She's ready to go to another level. Let's throw something else at her. Like either let's increase more, let's take the long run out further, or let's add some other spice and speed to a workout that we haven't really been been doing before. And again, when you're your own person making those calls, we're not the best person to make those decisions. So how do you um how do you approach looking for a coach and and where did you land? How did that how did that process work? So for me, I think I had been on several like running Facebook groups. And so people were always looking for coaches and there was always people recommending different coaches. And so I started kind of following along and looking at what different people were doing. Uh, and then I came across Brendan O'Leary, uh, who's O'Leary racing team. And he was always giving, answering questions for people, giving feedback to people, you know, even though he wasn't coaching them. And I heard several people recommend him as a coach. And then I started kind of following a couple of his athletes and seeing, you know, Hey, what are the athletes that he's coaching doing? And I saw a lot of them make tremendous progress and some were kind of in the, around the same times as what I was looking to do. And I saw them have those kind of great improvements. And I was like, then this guy seems like he knows what he's doing. He's giving a lot of great advice to people. Uh, so I reached out to him about doing coaching at the time. He wasn't taking on anybody personally, but he had a new coach, uh, Casey K, uh, Casey Keller. <laughs> I'm going to butcher her last name. Killer Resky. Uh, <laughs> working for him. 
so I started with Casey um, in November of 2019 and started working with her. And I realized once I started working with the coach that I probably had no idea what I was doing before because I never really did much track workouts. I definitely never like put marathon pace miles into my runs. Like I never did that. So many critical things that somehow I never did and kind of got away with. Like those things, I realized how critical, how they can really push you to another level, you know, doing the track workouts, doing more speed, putting the marathon pace miles into your runs and how much more comfortable that could make you in the marathon. Cause I had several suffer fests in my marathons where I just kind of died at the end. Um, so I started working with Casey, which was a, an awesome experience. And I worked with her, um, PR'd in the five and 10 K working with her. And then it kind of got to around March of 2020. And, you know, we know what happened then. Um, I was supposed to run New Bedford Marathon, which was like right around St. Patrick's Day. And that Thursday, I'll never forget, I was at work and I got the email that the race was canceled and everything was still open then. So I was I, I was like, what? The race is canceled. Like, what's going on? This is crazy. You know, um, you know, had, having no idea what was going to come next. So at that point, you know, I was like, okay, this is one race. I'm going to keep going. I was signed up for Boston that year. And I was like, this is going to finally be my time. The training was going incredible. I remember Casey saying, oh, you're in shape probably for like a 306. And I felt great. I was like, I'm I was so confident. I'm like, I'm definitely breaking 310. There's no question in my mind. I'm going to do it this time. Super confident. And then we get towards Boston and then Boston's canceled. So then I kind of put a plan B. I signed up for, for Sugarloaf Marathon. And then, you know, later that's canceled. So then I kind of decided to do a time trial on my own uh, at her suggestion. But my heart just wasn't in it. When, once everything started getting canceled, it, it just became like really tough to push through. You know, I was working from home. My husband was working from home. The kids' school became closed. I just felt like bogged down with so many things personally. I just... I, I couldn't put like the heart into, you know, the running that, that I knew I needed to, you know? So at that point, like I kind of took a, took a break from the coaching for a while. Well, you learned some really key lessons on your training, you know, when you first started to work with Casey and had exposure to, you know, Brendan's group, O'Leary racing team, um, those key things that people that maybe haven't had like an elite coach working with them before, you know, running marathon pace miles and long runs. I mean, it's just so critical. It's so important. I mean, how else are you going to be comfortable on race day if you're not running those paces in long runs? And yet so many people just think, well, I'll just go out and do a long, slow distance, long run, and I'll just do 20 miles or I'll do this distance. And yeah, that's how it used to be like 20 or 25 years ago. Um, and sure, you could run a marathon and maybe even have a really good day, but you're never going to hit your peak or really explore how good you could be if you're not working at these different system levels. And then in integrating track workouts in, which are very specific. They're not, you're not running someone else's paces. You're running paces that she's looking at and identifying based on your fitness level that you can hit. They're going to target different aerobic systems and make you stronger and fitter. And, and I think that's key too, because I would never probably have known what paces to push myself to or have thought like hey you can run a long run with like 10 miles in the middle of it at this pace I would have been like no way like I would have not thought I could do it but having a coach kind of believe in you and say you can run this pace like there's something different about that and it's something that helps give you that confidence that like this person's training me they know what I've been doing 
they say this is the pace I can do. So, you know, it gives you that kind of boost of confidence that I'm going to go for this. Even if, if I had told myself I was going to do it, I, I don't know if I'd have that same faith. It's, it's, it's a hundred percent. You nailed it. I mean, it's like a bullseye because I mean, it doesn't hurt when your coach is qualified for Atlanta and running the marathon Olympic trials and is running two forty three PR at CIM and she's a total beast. Um, but still it's the most important thing you said is they believe in you. So whether it's Brendan or Casey or me or someone else, when someone else believes in you that strongly, that fervently, and they know that you can do something, it just, it rubs off on you. And there's this feeling, and I just know I've had it many times working with a coach when it's been a great connection. Like you don't want to let them down. If they write out a workout for you and tell you you're running 20 miles and I want you to do, you know, after four miles, you know, running X, Y, Z, and I want you to run six miles at six ten pace. And then I want you to run, you know, a float mile. Then I want you to run three more miles at this pace. You're like, you look at it, you're like, I'm doing my emoji eyes right now on the screen for everybody who's only on audio. Like my emoji eyes are getting bigger. It's like, what, what is this workout? I can't do this. And then you send them a message back. They're like, oh no, no, you can do this workout. And you're like, all right, I got to fucking nail this workout. I have to do it. And it's amazing. Somewhere in there, you're like halfway through the thing and you're like struggling and suffering, but then you're like, whoa, I'm halfway done. I only have like halfway more to go. So, you know, let me take care of this. And then of course, any great coach is going to have you focused on your fueling and when do you need to fuel and what should you be using and what should you be practicing with? So these are all things that you get exposed to when you're working with a good coach that are going to prep you and, you know, you know, put you in the best opportunity to be the best version of yourself, you know, when you're out there come race day. And unfortunately you guys are peaking, you'd run some PRs, you have a great connection. There's like great respect there. And then just everything falls apart, you know, like a house of cards and no one, can predict how this stuff is going to be. Um, and, you know, understandably, you know, you took a break because there weren't any races, period. The only races that existed were virtual. And I, for one, had no interest in doing any of those races personally. I know a lot of people did, and that's fine if they did. I mean, I cheered my friends on who were, quote unquote, running PRs and virtual races. Fine. I mean, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm as happy for them, like Casey had suggested you do it at Marathon Time Trial. But your heart has to be in it. You have to want to do that. You maybe need somebody riding the bike alongside you, you know, with some music, like maybe some atmosphere to get you like in the, in the flow and the state. But if you're not into it, it's not going to happen. So you had to take a, a break from, you know, direct coaching because of no racing. And the next part is, I think, really interesting of how you kind of handled your running over this next period of time. So take us through, take us through the next section. Yeah. So at some point uh, after COVID, uh, Boston put in, uh, the Massachusetts put in like a, a mass mandate for everywhere, like even outside, like even if you were by yourself. And so at that point, I... I was like, I'm not going to run outside in the mask. Like I just, I know people do it and it's, it's difficult, but it, it wasn't for me. Uh, so I have a Peloton treadmill. So at that point I just pretty much went exclusively to running on the Peloton treadmill. Um, but it was, a, ended up being an amazing thing for me because I found an amazing community on Peloton. Um, the instructor Bex Gentry, she has a kind of, it's not her, but it's a group of supporters that like, like her as an instructor called Bex Beast. And so that Facebook group is a group of super supportive people. And I ended up just really getting uplifted by that group. I started planning my whole schedule around trying to do the live runs. We'd high five each other. We'd tag each other on Instagram after. 
and just kind of built up this community where you could like ask anything and say anything and people would post their runs on Instagram and kind of, you know, give each other high fives or great job. And I wasn't running particularly fast or a lot of miles at the time, but it was just great to kind of have that support, you know, all those people kind of out there, you know, during a time when there was like no connection, you know, there was no, you know, you couldn't see your family, you couldn't see your friends, you had to stay six feet away from everybody. But then you could high five people on the screen on Peloton. So there was just something great about that, like feeling connected to people and just having that extra connection um, that just kept me going during that time. And even though I'm kind of back to a lot of my miles outside, I still do hop on the Peloton once or twice a week. And I still have like those connections uh, from that group. And it's just, uh, it really is a, a great group of people. I think it's fantastic because A, it renews our faith and like mankind, um, we were all tested in ways that we just could never have imagined. I mean, um, every one of us, I don't know a person that I know in my life that I'm close with, didn't think that COVID was going to last more than a month or two months. Maybe even the most pessimistic of people that are in my life, and there are very few of them because I don't surround myself with those kind of people, man. If you're that glass half empty kind of person, you ain't rolling with me, man. I don't have time for people like that. Um, But even some of those folks that I did have around me would be like, this is going to be a three to six month thing. And I just like looked at them like they were crazy. And like, here we are, you know, like a couple of years later. Um, So what a great way to kind of just like reinvent your running um, at a time when there really wasn't any races that were going to do anything for you. You know, if you didn't care about running a virtual marathon or a half marathon or a 10K and getting some fake medal, and I understand how if some people would feel that way, that it's fake and it's not real. But I also understand if somebody feels that it's awesome and it matters just as much, good for them. I'm just saying that's how I felt about it. Um, I always share how I feel. It doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. It just means that's how I felt about it. I was not going to get fired up and excited for something like that. So you get involved with her tribe and her community. And, you know, she's like a legend in New York City. Um, Amazing runner. I mean, I think she was like fourth in uh, the trials, you know, for Britain. And just like ran a PR and ran like an amazing race. I mean, just unbelievable. And uh, you guys were all supporting her, right? Like virtually. like it was was pretty incredible. (laughs) That was like one of the things that really kind of just inspired me a lot uh to kind of pick up running a little bit more again uh so when she ran in the uh uk olympic trials uh, a bunch of the vex beasts all decided that they were going to string together a bunch of her classes and do them on demand at the same time as she was actually running so i think it was around 4 a.m or something for me so i got up at like three something got on the treadmill there's literally hundreds of people on there, all high-fiving each other, all doing this sequence of classes that we had all kind of picked in advance, all Vex Gentry classes. And we're all like streaming her race on iPads or TVs while we're also running. And we had said we'd try to run, you know, you could run as much or as little as you wanted, but a lot of us said we're going to run for like the full duration of how long she's running for. So I think I ended up running about 15 miles that day, which was the longest I had run in a while. And it kind of just got me excited seeing her do that because that was a big PR for her. And I know I had kind of read in some news reports that, you know, some people were like, oh, a Peloton instructor, but to see her kind of show, like, show what she could do, you know, and listening to her on the classes all the time, she's a super inspiring instructor. And one of the things she always talks about is running into your unknown, uh, which is an awesome thing. It's something I think about that, you know, you have this place, you can kind of push yourself 
beyond that, beyond like what you think you can do today, there's that new place you might can push yourself to, whether it's in a workout or in a race. Um, and she gets you to do that in a lot of her classes by just the different types of intervals or whatever that she does. And she's just genuinely like a great person. Um, uh, you know, even though I don't know her personally, you know, she, she will like, you know, give you the likes on Instagram or respond to stuff, but our really great community has just formed just around her. And it's, it's a great community to be a part of. It's a fabulous story. Um, and it's positive energy sharing on the highest possible level people getting up at all hours of the morning to kind of try to pay that forward for her, for all that, you know, the great vibes and energy she brought to all of you and inspiration that you all shared amongst each other, you know, while you're doing these workouts and runs, you know, together and high-fiving each other and tagging each other and, you know, creating positive energy at a time that sucked, face it, man. It's like black hole, you know, groundhog's day. Every day is like, are we really fucking still in this movie? Like it's still, can we like, can we fast forward? Where's the DVR clicker? Can I just like move a few chapters ahead? No, I can't do that. So it's like, you know, Bill Murray got better as the movie went on. Then he's speaking French, he's learning poetry. He's doing all the things he can to woo Andy McDowell. But in real life, we're not really getting any better. We just want it to end, you know? And so I love that you found this like whole community and, you know, kind of brought like some, a different kind of joy back to your running, you know, not focus so much on racing and PRs and a sub 310 or anything else, just like running for the sake of running, running for the, the good positive energy and the, the good health implications it brings at a time of stress that is like off the charts, right? So yeah, it's- I mean, Yeah, I think it's one of the things that really kind of kept me going when times were tough because I knew I had those you know, live runs. And even when COVID got like really bad and everything shut down, Peloton actually took the treadmills and put them in the instructor's homes so that they taught live from home during the pandemic. So that was neat too, to have, you know, you'd see them in their apartments or whatever, like running on the tread with you. And it wasn't always the best audio quality or best video, but it was real. It was them being real. It was them, you know, at their homes, bringing that to us still, trying to keep us connected, like even during like that tough time. So that was just great to have. Yeah. And so much, and so much needed, um, to kind of get us through, you know, these awful periods of us being stuck. Um, you know, it brought like live positive energy to every day or whenever that next workout was going to be, instead of saying like, <laughs> what am I going to do today? Well, I, I got Bex's class at XYZ. I know that's going to be a good hour or two hours and, you know, message with some of those people and that'll be positive. So in many ways that kind of got you ramped up and in the really the right state of mind to like take on your next big goal, right? Which ends up being CIM, right? Yeah. So I think around the time when uh, Bex ran her Olympic trial race, I started getting excited again and started thinking like, wow, maybe I'm going to start looking for another race. So I picked CIM because I figured it was far enough out in the calendar that hopefully COVID wouldn't be an issue anymore. The race would actually <laughs> happen, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, at the time, I just couldn't see Boston happening. Like, I know it did happen, but Massachusetts was so strict and races were in, like, the final stage of reopening. So I just had a lot of fear that, like, my heart would be broken again. And, like, I just couldn't do it again with Boston. I'm like, I can't sign up for this race and have it, like, not happen again. Um, so I picked CIM because it was a couple months later. And I also was, you know, had that inspiration of my former coach, Casey, and her run at CIM and having, like, such an 
amazing race there and just hearing about that from her it just sounded like you know a great place to go and to try to run that that pr because i had heard it was you know such a fast course and i heard such good things about it so i decided that would be my goal is is to head there yeah i mean i think you used some real sound decision making all the way through and through um, I don't think any of us wanted to have our hearts broken anymore. Like Tokyo keeps canceling. It's like, you know, we just want to run, man. That's all like, you know, come on, it's outdoors, man. We're not going to kill each other by running outside. And I, I just wish people would get the memo already, you know, like and it's so hard because I feel like running was one of those things that was like the last thing to come back when it's outdoors. And I don't, I just don't understand why it was so far off, you know, like bars, restaurants, everything can happen, but not running, you know, and it was just, it made me so angry for a long time that running was just the very last thing to come back. But um, as we got close to CIM and I saw that it looked like it was definitely happening, you know, once we got the email with like the safety protocols, I'm like, this is happening. I am ready. Um, so going into CIM, I wasn't like quite ready to jump into the one-on-one -on -one coaching again. Um, but what I decided to do is to reprint out the coaching plan I had from coach KCK before I printed all that out and I kind of just like re-entered it. I used actually the same system they use, Final Surge, and I entered all the workouts in with like the new dates and I just added a little bit of mileage. Um, I probably added, like I went up to 65 miles a week when I used to only go up to like 57. Uh, one of the perks of now working from home that there's a little bit more time in the day. Um, so I had a little bit of mileage, but otherwise I pretty much followed the, the plan uh, as she had it before. But this time I saw myself just picking up the paces. You know, I was pretty much blowing away the paces from before. And I was like, wow, like this is going really, really well. Um, then I came up to, I was looking back at, at my workouts and it was probably about like two months out from the race. Um, and I, I want to bring this up because this happens to everybody, but it's so hard when it happens. I just had like a horrible, horrible workout. And it was one of the key workouts. It was like a marathon pace workout where I was supposed to do like 10 miles at marathon pace. And at the time I thought my marathon pace was going to be more of like a, I was aiming more for like a 308, 306 type thing. Like I, that's where I kind of thought I was. So I was aiming for that pace and I just totally blew up like six miles into it. And like, to the point where I couldn't even run, like I just I was having stomach issues. I just felt like crap. I had to stop and walk part of it. Like it was just a complete disaster of a workout. I kind of, somehow bungled through the rest of it but like I didn't hit any of the paces and I was like just feeling kind of devastated like oh this horrible workout like just mean like I'm not in shape to do it like what's going on um but then after that all of a sudden I had this turning point where suddenly all the workouts started going amazing it was like I had that one like terrible terrible workout and then like a switch just flipped and like all the workouts started going like amazing 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 hitting all the paces like killing all the paces and I started just getting this like confidence, like, wow, maybe I really can do this. Um, and I was just thinking about it, like, am I going to be able to do this goal? Uh, so going into it, I was a couple of weeks out, but I was still thinking like, okay, I'm going to probably, I, I knew I was in better shape than I was before when I trained with Casey and she had, I remember her saying like, oh, you're in like 306 shape. So I was like, maybe I'll start with like the 305 pace group and if I feel good, I'll like push it and I'll aim for like a 302, 303. So that was kind of my, my thoughts originally going into it. And a couple of weeks out from the race, uh, a friend messaged me on Instagram who is also running the race and his name's Tyler. 
And he asked me like what my plans were for the race. And I told him, you know, I'm going to start with the 305 pace group and I'm going to, you know, pick it up at the halfway point if I feel good. And he said, don't do that. He said, <laughs> he said, I followed you on Strava. I've seen your workouts. What you're going to do is you're going to run with the 305 pace group. You're going to pick it up a little bit. You're going to run a 304 and you're going to feel like you left something up there. You're in better shape than that. Start with the sub three group. You're going to run a 258. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh my God, he thinks I can run a 258. <laughs> I mean, my PR is 314. So this would be like an insane PR for me. And I'm like, my heart's beating. I'm like, can I do this? <laughs> can I do a sub three? And then I started thinking about my workouts and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I have to test myself because I, I can't do this unless I go into it with confidence. And after having that kind of bad workout a few weeks back that didn't go so well, I, I needed something to boost my confidence. I decided to kind of redo that same workout and try to hit like a pace that would be like a sub three pace and see if I could do it. And I did do it and I kind of killed it on that workout. And then I was like, right then I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going for sub three. I'm all in. If the weather is good, if the conditions are right, this is going to be my day. And I just decided right then, like I was going for it. Fantastic. I mean, there's some great things in there to break down. Um, so I love that you had the blow up experience on that one run and that you shared that because uh, just so many people that come on my show or people I come across in all walks of life that are just looking for that truly air quote, perfect buildup, perfect cycle perfect group of workouts leading into the race. And I can tell you firsthand from my own running and from many of my close friends that anyone who's had one of those buildups usually doesn't have a good race or maybe has a far substandard race to what they're expecting because either they put too much effort into their workouts and maybe pushed over the red line in some of those runs or longer runs and then just didn't have enough race day or just whatever. Maybe the pressure got to them. Maybe the weather wasn't as good or their nutrition plan just was a fail but they didn't have the right day. You know, here you had an important workout that you just, it was a bomb. It blew up and, you know, you could have gone backwards. Um, so I do think the random, you know, connection with Tyler or the runner, you know, locally and his confidence in you, his belief in you from following you on Strava and made you look kind of rethink that the same way Casey telling you, you can do something or Brendan telling you, you can do something or someone you really trust who has your best interest at heart it makes us believe we can do something. And if we believe it, it's all of a sudden we're like, okay, I'll, I'll take this workout on again. So you took the same workout on again, which is genius because, hey man, you bombed it when you were trying to run it at 305 to 308 pace. And now you're trying to run it at sub three pace, which is a whole different ball game and you nailed it. Um, so his confidence in you, you know, and you nailing that workout. And then of course the rest of the buildup went really well and you're in a good state of mind you come into the race, I mean, you don't know what's really going to happen. I mean, you know, you got to run a 314. You don't know what you're going to run. Um, but you but you have him believing in you. You nail that one last key workout before and you get out there. And, you know, I know CIM was a perfect weather day because I have lots of friends who are running out there and I've run it many times. Um, and that's one of the things you can almost always count on. They have good weather out there. Um, so, uh, take us, take us through the magical day, man, of going from 314 to 258. Like, what was it like out there on the course, man? What was the day like? So first of all, I have to say the best thing about CIM is they boast themselves as having like the most porta potties at the start of any race. <laughs> <laughs> so they kept like 
proclaiming that over the loudspeakers, but I have to say for the listeners that if you're somebody who needs the porta potty before a race, pixie I am because amazing amount. Uh, so that was great to have. You know, I did my warm up and everything. I got ready. I got into the start a little bit early because I wanted to make sure I could find like the three hour pacer because that was my plan. My plan was, you know, just stay with this guy. Like whatever you do, just focus, stay with this three hour pacer. I figured running with the pace group, I hadn't really done it before, but I thought that would take like some mental pressure off me because all I had to do was stay with this guy the whole time. (laughs) So that was my plan. I lined up with him and I had started recently running with headphones. So I had my headphones in and when the race started, unfortunately, like one headphone would not start, which, you know, normally that kind of thing would have like really like threw me off. But it ended up being like kind of like a blessing because I was able to hear like crowds and like cheers in one ear. And then I had kind of like a light music in the other ear. So it ended up really working out. But I had that like brief moment where I kind of like, oh, what what am I going to do? You know, because I didn't want to fool around with it too much. Because what if like both stop working? You know, you don't don't know what's going to happen. So I was like, I'm just going to stick with the one. So we went out and I remember one thing that sticks out is the very first mile, the pace group leaders went out like very fast. The first mile, like, I think we were supposed to be doing around like a, you know, 650 pace or something, but they went out like a 635 or something on the first mile. It was really fast. And I remember thinking, Oh, should I stick with this? And I'm like, I'm going to just stay with my plan. These guys know what they're doing. I'm going to stay with them. So it was just really an incredible experience running with the pace group. I hadn't really done that before, but it was a huge pack at CIM that was going for the sub three. And I want to say, I don't know, maybe like 50-ish people in it. It was like a really big group. The only negative really was the water stops were a complete disaster. With that many people, they only had water on one side of the road. So I had to be very, very strategic with each water stop. So that was like my main focus was, okay, I see the guy with the sign, get water, get behind the guy with the sign. Um, so I basically was in such a focus during that race that most races I'm like, Oh, I remember the spectators over here. Oh, there's a dog, you know, like this race, I was so internally focused, like more than I ever have been in any race that like, I couldn't really even tell you anything about the course. Like the only things I really remember is the halfway point. They had like a big inflatable thing in the halfway point. And I remember we crossed the halfway point and it was only like a minute off my half PR because they went out like pretty fast the first half um so it was like a minute off my half PR, and I was like oh geez like and they were like oh yeah we're ahead of pace and I'm like yeah we're definitely ahead of pace so you know we keep going and then when we hit mile 18 I want to say usually that's the point where I start really feeling it a little bit in the marathon and so we hit mile 18 I remember looking at my watch and I'm like wow I still feel pretty good you know and I started like kind of getting excited that I was feeling good and it was already mile 18 and then we get to mile 20 and like right around 2021 it's like all like a slight downhill after that so there's no big challenges after that so that was the point where I knew I was going to get really excited because I knew like all the hard stuff's behind you you just have to kind of coast down to the finish stay with this guy (laughs) no more hills or anything so we hit that point and I just remember wow I still feel amazing And I think I smiled so hard all the way from mile 20, all the way to the finish line, because I absolutely knew I had it. Like my confidence level was like, nothing's going to stop me now. Somebody could come out here with a gun or try to attack me. And I would just keep going. Nobody's stopping me from getting a sub three. And they kept calling out the times. I knew we were like also like underpaced. Like I knew we were under by over a minute. 
So I also knew I had that cushion that like, I would definitely be under three. Like, even if I slowed down like a little bit, I did like that rough, like runner's math. I'm like, even if I slowed down like this much, I'm definitely still sub three. Like I've got this, I've got this. So it was so awesome coming down that finish line at CIM. They have like a separate finish for men and women that kind of splits off. And so both of the pace leaders were uh, men. So they kind of split off to one side and then the women split off to the other side. And at the finish, it was just incredible because, you know, sub three is like a pretty big deal. And so there were lots of women just cheering everybody on, like as a clock ticked down, you know, I crossed in my time and then everybody just kind of hung around there, like cheering and other women as they crossed sub three and, you know, people just saying congratulations to me. And I was just on this high, like, I can't believe I just did that. Like, I just like blew that time out of the water and it was just the most incredible, incredible day. Yeah. I mean, that is, I love the recap. Um, cause you literally went start to finish. I wasn't going to interrupt you, man. You took us through the whole 26.2, man, which I love, um, including the Porta Johns, which is priceless because I could tell you firsthand that is important because we all know, even in New York and in Boston, where there are plenty, you're always waiting. There is no waiting. You literally can just go, um, right up into the start of the race and just still get back into okay. the corral. Okay. Um, and that, that is one of the great things about CM. I mean, there's just so many great things about it. The course is amazing. Um, obviously you don't get that kind of energy like you get in Boston or New York in terms of spectators. There are people out there, but it's just not that same kind of a race, but for running a fast time for trying to run a sub three for trying to run an OTQ like Casey did or men trying to run fast times. It's just a, it's a fantastic course to go chase a fast day. Um, and I want to pose a question to you because it literally popped into my head as you were telling the story, um, doing all those classes with like Beck's, um, and being part of that group, those classes are fucking hard, man. Let me tell you something. I know how hard those classes are. Cause I've done some of those classes on the bike too, when I had a stress fracture and I know when those peak things come up and the climbs come up and you're at your highest heart rate stuff, they are fucking hard, man. You're hanging on for dear life. Okay. But you're part of a group. Okay. And other people are in there and you guys are high-fiving each other and you're trying to like make it through that hard section or that interval and then finish the workout, quote unquote. I wonder if you didn't even have any idea that all of that work, doing all that work on the treadmill with all those different intensities, being in a group, having to hang on, having to fight, like getting in a race where you're like hanging onto the three hour pacing group, which by the way, I've had two other guests on who ran sub three that day and the sub three pacer group. Yeah. He went out way fast. And I know that from both of them talking about it <laughs> because neither one of them saw the sub three group until like 24 or 25 miles. And they were both around your time, 258, 257. So it's interesting. That's how much time he put in the bank by going out that first mile, 635, and who knows what other time he banked. But um, I'm just wondering if you think that had anything to do, maybe I'm completely off my rocker, but maybe in some way it just strengthened your own like mental game of the resolve of like having to hang on in those tough interval runs, you know, on the Peloton, you know, like yeah, building no, up. I think I think there's definitely something to that. Cause as I got more into the Peloton, you know, originally it was just kind of like a fitness, but as I kind of got more in shape, like, you know, after taking the break from running and then getting back into it, when I started kind of getting back more in shape, I definitely started not every class, but I definitely had classes where I was kind of racing the leaderboard, you know, trying to be like the top and there'd be, you know, Bex would throw in like, Hey, let's do a 12% incline now or something like totally absurd, you know, and just, literally hanging on for dear life, trying to keep that pace, you know, uh, 
And on my own, of course, I'd never cook like a 12% incline. So just kind of some of those crazy things that happen in those classes. And, you know, I, I do like the tempo runs on there sometimes. And that was like another one where I could usually, you know, talk out the leaderboard on. So like really kind of pushing the pace on those. Um, but I, I do find running on the treadmill, like more difficult than outside. I don't know why some people say it's easier, but I do find like pace wise, like I find it a little bit tougher to hold the same paces on the treadmill, but yeah, no, there's definitely something to that. And then after the workout, when people are like high five and you are saying like, great job, there, there's something that kind of pushes you, even though it isn't a race, you know, sometimes it kind of is a race. Yeah, I think it is. And then, you know, to be running in a pack for your first time, I mean, it's not something you've done before. You've never gone out with like a pace group or followed a leader or you've, you know, so the burden has always been on you or me or someone else when we're racing our own race. You know, what, what do I want to run through 10K? What do, do I have a five mile plan? Like, you know, a lot of the people that I know who are really top coaches use a 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 plan, which is 10 miles, 10 miles, 20, and then the last 10K. So it's like you run the first 10, you run the second 10, but really the last 10K, like, what are you going to get done there? Like, so there's just so many different approaches to how to race. And of course, the course profile plays a huge part in that. Because as you said, other than the bridge at CIM, which I think is at like 21, that's really the last hill that you face. Most of your tougher stuff is early. You know, you have more uphill vertical climbing stuff, although it's rolling for sure, hugely rolling. You do, you're definitely doing a lot more climbing earlier in the race and it is much faster at the end. Um, but I think maybe mentally some of those experiences of being in that group dynamic of then just like having to hang on to this group, man, it hones your toughness. It hones your mental strength. And, you know, you didn't know that you could run a sub three, you know, so some dude Tyler tells you you could run a 258. You don't know, you know, and even if Casey was like swearing to you, you could do it or Brendan, that doesn't mean you can do it. I mean, you just, they just believe in you. So in a way you were like going into the deep unknown, man, you could have gone with that 305 group, just like Tyler said, and maybe you would have run a 304 or 303, but you, you <laughs> took a huge swing, man. You, you threw caution to the wind and you believed in yourself and you took a shot. And you know what? The thing could have gone the other way. You could have suffered late and struggled and maybe you would have run a 302 or a 303, but you would have gotten the red badge of courage from me because you threw it all out there. But you freaking pulled this shit off, man. You didn't just do it. It's like a 16 minute PR, man. That's like completely bananas, man. You go from 314 to 258. And it's not like you came in off some huge racing streak of running 10 races because it's COVID. I mean, you literally hadn't raced in like ages. I mean, you basically were just training and then you came out there and you put it, put it together. So man, kudos on an amazing race. Like, well done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely still on like a high from it. It was just an incredible experience. And I do have to say that the face group leaders were, the, the, they did go out fast, but they're amazing. They like really got the crowds going too. you know, one of them would always like hold the sign. He'd be like sub three group. And he'd kind of get like the crowd going. And there was just something really exciting about that being like, I'm part of this group. I'm part of this pack. And, um, it was, it was, it was a pretty big pack. Like I said, it, it did whittle down around mile 20 or 21 when, you know, some people that were hurting fell back, but it still kept like a good, a good solid amount, like through, through the whole race. And, uh, it was just nice knowing once I hit that, like, like you said, mile 21, 20, when you get that kind of last hill that at that point I was just all smiles. Cause I was like, nothing is going to stop me from hitting this goal. Right. Like I knew I had it, like the, the confidence, I've never felt that confidence in a marathon at mile 20. 
So just having that confidence and being like, I'm going to do this today. Like this is happening. Then it was just like, all right, let's get through these six miles first, but I know I'm going to do it. Yeah. You want to hit the fast forward button, right? You want to be like making that left hand turn. It's like, all right, I got to focus, stay focused, stay focused. And I remember I, um, around mile 25 ish, I started getting like this little foot cramp. And I was like, no, this is not happening. I was like, nope, put stop, stop. And I remember like just trying to like push my toes down. And I was like, you're not going to cramp up now. You're not going to cramp up now. And I managed to hold off that cramp. I, I did get it later at the hotel, but I held it off uh, for the race, which was good. Oh, yeah, man. The conversations we have with ourselves, mine are usually out loud. I'll just actually talk to myself like, what, what, wait, no, 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 no. There's no calf cramps going on. Like, that's not happening here. We got three more miles to go. And then you can do whatever the hell you want. I go, we got three more (laughs) miles, so let's get this shit done. And then when we get you into the ultra world, you'll really find out how crazy shit gets because your body will just be like, what? We're not going to run 50 miles. We're not running 100 miles. But um, amazing. just unbelievable day. Unbelievable day. What did you do for fueling? What was your fueling plan? So for fueling, I had started use, I always found I got a lot of cramps. So I started using those like salt tabs. So I took those, I alternated those with a gel, like every three miles. I did like the salt tabs and the gel and then the salt tabs and the gel. And I did that like every three miles alternating. And then I only did water because I find I always sometimes have stomach issues with like other stuff other than water if I drink it. So I just decided like, I'll just avoid like drinking other stuff. So that's why I did the salt tabs. And I think that seemed to really work well for me. I had tried that in training. I'm not always good about like practicing this stuff in training, but this time around, I was like really conscious of doing that, like carrying the stuff with me on training other than the water, because I just, I can't stand the sloshing of water. I just, I can't carry it, but I would carry the gels and the salt tabs and stuff with me. And, um, I tried to practice like on those mild marathon paced runs or like any type of run that was like a long distance. I would try to practice that. And then as I got towards the race, sometimes I'd even do like out and back to my car. So like I could try to practice taking the water too, since I don't like to carry it. So I would just kind of, you know, do whether it was 18, I'd like go three out, three back, go to my car, take the water, you know, just to like practice taking that in make sure it like works with my stomach and that I wasn't going to have like any issues on race day. It's really important. You got to figure it out. Either if you can lucky enough to get somebody to ride a bike alongside you or, um, you know, if you can wear some sort of backpack or something in training, you're not going to wear that in a race. Usually Uh, most races don't even allow them. Um, You know, some of the international ones are a little more flexible on that. But um, what kind of gels? I know you said water and gels. What kind of gels? Uh, The Honey Stinger. I do the Honey Stinger. Um, I think they're like a fruit punch flavor or something. They're pretty yummy. We got to give the shout outs to everybody. And most importantly, (laughs) so people know what you used and if they want to try it themselves, they can, you know, test it out. But that's the key. That's the caveat. I always tell everybody, you got to test it out. Just because Morton might work for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And just because a goo gel works for someone else doesn't mean you're going to like it. I mean, it might upset your stomach. Gatorade might be the simplest thing in the world for most of us to drink, but it might not be good for you. I mean, you don't know. And then if you get out- recreationally but i cannot i just can't do it during a race and i've mistakenly taken it sometimes like when you know they're like water and then you take it you're like Uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's like danger will robinson it's like warning warning lost in space that's my lost in space reference for anybody (laughs) old enough to know but one of my favorite shows growing up but yeah you need to know what's going to be on the course um and uh 
I'm trying to think. I think they use none in CIM, I'm pretty sure, for drink. Uh, and then it's water. And then I'm not sure on the gel side. I know Boston this year is going to have Morton gels out at three different locations, and they're using Gatorade Endurance for the drink and water. So just always look, whatever race you're running, whether it's Erie, Boston, CIM, always take a look at what's going to be on the course and decide if you're going to go the route that Aaron did and just go water and gels and like a salt tab only, or are you going to drink the uh, drink, um, that's going to get you some electrolytes and take care of you that way. And even on the salt tabs too, the same thing, there's a lot of different ones that are chewable and taste good that I use in ultra. But again, unless you've used them a couple of times, man, it could turn your stomach to God knows what out there. So if it's a first time experience, it could end really badly. So it's good that you were testing and practicing all that stuff out beforehand. Um, and, you know, the finish line, like you said, the men's, women's finish line, I think it's one of my favorite things about CIM. I just think it's so cool, particularly the year that Casey ran and so many of the women qualified to run in Atlanta and run the trials, just to see that uh, collective energy of all these women hugging each other and being so supportive. Yeah, watching that, that video from that year, that yeah. was, I think that was one of the things that sold me on CIM because it was like such an emotional video of seeing all those women like qualify and like, you know, cross the line. And it was just, seeing that like kind of spirit, you know, and I think, I think that, you know, still lives on. It does. And let me tell you something, you're going to be in the sub three video that they're going to show next year because, you know, there was no OTQ going on in this particular race, but all of those women that were in that sub three group that were hugging and excited for each other and sharing the love, trust me, that stuff will make its way around and be on CIM's website. And you'll be like, Hey, that's me. <laughs> you could show your kids and go, Hey, it's mom. Did your, were your husband and kids at CIM or you made that trip solo? So I made that trip solo. Um, luckily, um, Brendan from ORT did connect me with like the ORT group that was out there. Um, so I did connect with those folks, which I think was uh, like a key thing too, because going out to the race by myself, I think I would have had, you know, those race day nerves, but I was able to kind of meet up with that group for dinner the night before and like have some people to kind of chat with and, you know, kind of like support with, do a shakeout run with. Um, and, and Brendan, the great guy he is, had also kind of offered up some advice on the course to me, you know, ahead of time and gave me, gave me some tips and stuff, which was great. Um, so the kids didn't come and I flew home the next day. Um, but it was, it was pretty incredible. The kids, uh, when I flew home, I got home like really late at night, but they had decorated my garage, uh, with signs, like big banners that said like, congratulations, mom. And had like my time, like 2.58. And then they hung like all these, uh, flamingos from my garage. Um, so the flamingo is like the symbol for the Bex Beast group, uh, for Bex Gentry's group. Um, cause she always says that like running is like being a flamingo, like you're on one leg all the time. So it's important to have like strength and she does a lot of strength classes where you're doing like one leg deadlifts and single leg deadlifts and all kinds of exercises where you're kind of building your single leg strength um so they use the flamingo as kind of the symbol for the group and they call themselves the flamboyance uh so they decorated it with all these flamingos and they had all these signs and then inside the house they had like some more signs and it said like mom you're the best runner you're the fastest runner we know and it, it was just so cute um and they were just like really, really excited for me, which was which was really awesome because they knew like, you know, I talked to them about it. They knew this was a big goal. And it's fun to be able to share that experience with your kids because they saw me put in the training, me go out all these days and do all this stuff and the commitment I had to it. And then they knew like I had, you know, kind of like the ABC goals and then seeing me kind of hit like my 
over the roof <laughs> through the universe goal and like have this amazing experience. It was so neat to be able to share that with them and for them to be able to see that. And I know they kind of retell that story to people and it's, it's kind of funny to hear like their take on it, but uh, I know they're excited for it and, you know, excited for me. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that because the times we're living in are so different, you know, five years before, hopefully five years into the future, kids are going to be back being in regular school every single day again. They're not going to be at home doing school with mom and dad and or mom or dad or both, you know, depending on how the family situation is at home. So they're there, you know, they're there when you're on the Peloton treadmill doing a 20 mile run or a 15 mile run. Or if you're going to go out on a Saturday and be gone for three hours, they're going to know, gee, mom's been gone for like three hours. Like, where is she? Okay. She's coming <laughs> back all sweaty. She must've done something hard. Um, so they're, so much more present and so much more aware of things now than they maybe ever could have been. Because again, they would have been off in preschool or regular school and not really been around to notice like how many actual hours go into this. How much work does it take to get strong, to get fit, to be in shape, to do something like that, just to finish a marathon, but to run a sub three, you know, to smash your PR by 16 minutes and then have them, you know, celebrate it with you. It's like super extra special. So, uh, Awesome, man. They got a badass mom at home and they're uh, they're inspired. And one day they're going to probably want to follow in your footsteps, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. I'm actually uh, going to do Berlin in September and I'm going to bring them out for that. I decided that, you know, I'm going to go for the six star medal. And that's like a journey I want like the kids to be a part of so that they can just kind of see that and get exposed to those other countries. I've done the three three U.S. ones. So, I, you know, I want to bring them to Berlin and London and Tokyo and just kind of see me have that experience and kind of bring them along for that journey. So I think that'll be cool. That's awesome, man. Get them on the plane, get them part of that whole experience. There's nothing like it. And I'll see you in Berlin. And there's my six star over that shoulder. I don't want to go the wrong way. I'll be too far away from the microphone, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, that was the most amazing experience of my life, being able to do all six of them in 2018. So in one year to do them all, um, something I'll never forget, but it, what you remember more than the fast times or the fastest time amongst them is just those things that you talked about, like Brendan connecting you with the ORT people. And I know every shakeout run I host that I know everybody who came to those shakeout runs. I know everybody who went to Starbucks after to have coffee. I know people I met for drinks after the race that I didn't know before I was in Berlin or I didn't know before I went to London, but they knew me from Instagram or Strava or somewhere else or the podcast. And, you know, now I know them. Now they're part of my running world. The, the way Bex has all of you part of her world with Peloton. So that's what the experience is all about. And getting your kids involved early is, is, is completely awesome. So I'll see you in Berlin. I'll get to meet him. That'll be pretty cool. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll have some time to meet up. I think we're flying in. I think we haven't bought the tickets yet, but I think we'll probably fly in on like Thursday. Uh, so it should be, it should be a good time. We're going to spend like a week out there after. So good, good. Take the extra time and get there. Not, you know, Thursday's perfect. You'll be You'll be in great shape. And uh, the park is one of my favorites, man. It reminds me of Central Park and the race is around there and, you know, around so many landmarks. It's such a fast course. You'll love it. So great experience for sure. 
Um, so I know you're back working with Brendan again, and you know, I know that you just absolutely won a 5k PR. I mean, you ran a 5k PR and you won the race. So I know that happened pretty recently. So the wheels are really kicking in, you know, you usually come after a marathon, you know, it's not the time that you're going to blast out like a super fast 5k. And I don't think it was a great weather day too. Wasn't it like a snowy day or something (laughs) as well? Yeah. So after the marathon, I was like, what the heck am I going to do next? Cause you know, like when I started, signed up to work with Brendan again, he's like, what are your goals? And it was hard to think like, what is my goal going to be in a marathon? Because I just blew it out of the water. I don't even know where to go next. And you know, I thinking about it now, I'm like, I think I do have more in me, but like at the time I was like, I'm not sure like where I am. I was like, I want to focus on the shorter distances first and kind of build up that speed and, and try to do my PRs in the 5k, 10k and half marathon. So I signed, funny enough, I signed up for a local 5k and it ended up being beautiful that day. It was like in the fifties, it was like this amazing weather day. But at the last minute I decided like the week before I decided to sign up for this one, that was a more competitive field. And then the weather ended up turning out to be feels like 20 degrees, snowing, windy, like snow blowing into your face. Um, I just remember going into it. I must be insane because like I picked the race on like the horrible weather day. Um, but now I'm glad I did it. Cause it's one of those things I can say, like, you know, I did the 5k in the snow. Um, but it, it was a cool experience, um, to be able to kind of go for that PR and to, to race that and to, you know, win that race. It was funny because I was running and, at one point, like around mile two, there was this like young kid running next to me. I don't know how old he was, but say, you know, 13 or something, definitely like on the younger side. And I was like, wow, this guy's really moving at this pace, you know? And I was like, I, you know, can't let this kid beat me type thing. No way. So, you know, I'm just trying to keep like a little bit ahead of him. And then a little bit ahead of me, I see another woman. I didn't remember anybody passing me, but there is a five mile race going on at the same time as the 5k. So I see this woman, I'm like, I don't think she passed me, but she's like going around the same pace as me and I'm kind of coming up on her. So I'm kind of running a little bit behind her. And then like at the end, there's kind of like a turn and there's probably like that last point two or whatever is like after you make the turn and then you kind of go down a straightaway. And I just remember thinking like, I don't really know if this woman's in the five mile or the, you know, 5k, but I'm pretending she's in the 5k because I want to race her. Like I want to race. I don't want to just like go for time or whatever, run this. I was like, I want someone to race. So I remember just running down that last like stretch, like as hard as I could. I like even, I think I closed my eyes because I'm like, I'm just going to move my legs. I'm just going to move my legs. And I did end up like beating her across the finish line. It did turn out she was in the five miler, not the 5k. Um, But it was just like a fun thing to be able to kind of have that in my head and have that kind of you know, fake race. And I ended up doing uh, a PR by like 17 plus seconds. I say plus because, um, I ran sub 19 once, but it was on like a course that was short. So, you know, so this was 17 seconds faster than that course, which was short. And this course definitely was not short. It was like, you know, my watch read it a little bit over. So I feel confident in uh, and saying I went sub 19 now, which is exciting. Awesome. And you won. And you're not, you're not competitive at all. Not even a little bit. So, you know, like whether she's in your race or not, you're going to make sure she was because you needed some reason to like hunt her down and, you know, and to take her, take her out at the finish line. But that's awesome, man. So it's great to see, you know, that you're, 
moving forward with big goals and, you know, concentrating on your speed is great. And I know you're going to run grandma's before Berlin. So, you know, that's great. You'll have a great buildup. You'll have plenty of time to work on speed, you know, going after, you know, 10K, fast 5Ks, a half marathon. You know, grandma's in June can be iffy. You know, it's a great race, but the weather, you know, some years can be really hot. So, you know, if it is, you can just use it as a great training run and a buildup run for Berlin, which, you know, in September is traditionally really good weather. It can be a little warm, but, you know, the weather should be pretty good in Berlin at the time of the yeah, year we're the, running. The tough thing about the spring is my daughter's a competitive dancer. So like almost every weekend is uh, dance competitions. So that's why I ended up picking grandma's because it's kind of a safe one that's like past the dance competition season. So I was like a little bit limited with the spring uh, in terms of like race choices, but I'll hope for the best with the weather and um, I've heard it's a fun experience out there. So, you know, that part of it should be good. Um, in terms of the competitiveness, my uh, former coworker used to always say that, you know, I, I'm always looking for somebody to hunt down, you know, he's like, Oh, like you joined this race. Did you see like your neighbor and you just like had to beat her? Like, it's like, I always kind of think about, you know, just picking one person off at a time. And just, I do have that competitive nature where I just like see someone and I'm like, I just got to like pass that one person and that just internal drive to kind of like push it, you know? That's a good thing, man. You got to tap into that. And that's how we grow. That's how we get stronger and faster, man. So ride, ride that wave, man, and, and ride that positive energy. So, uh, man, we've covered a lot of great stuff. Um, and I always close out every episode talking about community service. And, um, you know, I know, you know, in your earlier Boston days, you did a lot of running, uh, I believe, for Boston Children's, right? Um, is there any other specific area of your life where you focus on charity, community service, or anything other than your running you know, that you want to talk about before we uh, close out? Um, well, I'm also a, a Girl Scout troop leader for my daughter. Yeah. Um, so, so I volunteered with that since uh, since kindergarten. She's been in kindergarten. So I kind of started as the assistant and then the kind of head troop leader moved a few years ago. So I've kind of taken over as uh, as the head leader. So it's kind of a big responsibility. We have 16 girls in the troop. So just like planning all the activities for them and um you know, trying to make it fun for them, but also trying to make it educational and teach them different things. Like we did the first aid, ba aid badge recently where we had a nurse come in and talk about how to like put a sling on and how to wrap different injuries. And, and then we do fun things like horseback riding or we're doing ice skating on Wednesday. So, you know, trying to mix it up and give them like different experiences while also like teaching them and just like exposing them to different things. Um, and I've definitely like thought about like I at some point I'd like to get involved in running in some way with kids. Like I don't know how, but it's like just it's something I've been thinking about, um, you know, wanting to do in the future. Yeah, that's great. There's a lot of uh, great organizations, uh, particularly for women, um, uh, women, young girls. I forget because the girls on the run. There's a bunch bunch of different organizations that I've had athletes on, um, where it tends to mostly be moms. Um, frankly, because they want their kids to get involved with running, but, you know, just encouraging young girls to run and get involved with running for self-confidence and strength and all those kind of things. But there's all kinds of ways to get involved, but Girl Scouts are awesome, man. And plus you're working, you're hanging out with your daughter and, and her friends. So what could be, what could be better than that for now? And, uh, as she gets older and your kids get older, you could always look into, uh, you know, doing something more running specific. So, um, 
It's been really fun talking to you, man. And your story is so awesome and totally inspiring. And I guarantee any runner out there that's in that 314, 315, 320 range is going to hear, you know, what you've done recently. And it's just going to give them a shot in the arm, a jolt for sure. Like, man, look at what she did. And not in, in easy circumstances, in normal circumstances at all, abnormal nothing easy, everything harder. Um, so it's extra inspiring. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing all the great stuff with the Run Chats audience. I'm sure it's going to get people fired up. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was uh, a lot of fun to be able to share my story and just kind of chat and hope that we can, uh, you know, meet sometime at one of these races. Oh, no doubt. We'll definitely get to hang out in Berlin. I look forward to that. So we close out every show. We tell everybody to keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was so much fun listening to Erin take me through her inspiring running journey. What an amazing story to watch the Boston Marathon on TV while you're in the hospital at 13 and say you're going to run it one day to your mom and dad and actually run your first one while you're in college. Uh, just incredible. Um, Every leg of the journey uh, just had me sitting on the end of the chair, and it was just really a fun and inspiring conversation. And no doubt, uh, her family support is huge to her husband and her children, and I have no doubt that uh, Violet and Cooper are not only her biggest fans, but I'm sure that they're going to end up becoming runners one day and trying to follow in mom's footsteps. I think it's super exciting that she's planning to take them along on the international versions of the Abbott Six Star Series, starting with Berlin uh, in September. So that's going to be fun to follow along with as well. So I hope you all enjoy hearing the amazing peaks and valleys of Erin's journey and just what, what her trajectory is right now. It's just super exciting to follow along and uh, appreciate everyone who continues to share and take the extra time to write a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It's really helping us build something special here. And just keep, uh, let's keep doing those great things. And uh, hopefully those kinds of habits will uh, help me continue to get great guests like Erin to come on the, the show and share her super inspiring story and other guests to come as well. So as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends.